everybody. I'm Kelly Wilkness, and I'm here with Anita Joyce, and this is Decorating Tips and Tricks, episode 447, and we have such a wonderful interview for you today. I am here with Leedy Bars, and we're going to talk all about shopping European flea markets and all about her gorgeous, gorgeous site, French Garden House. So welcome to Decorating Tips and Tricks, Leedy. Thank you so much. It's so fun to join you and Anita here today. Let's dive in. Leedy, tell us a little bit about your background. Well, I was born in Holland, and for the first eight years, my mom and I lived with my grandparents in their grand four-story house. And it was filled with really beautiful French and Dutch antiques, and I probably developed my passion for antiques there. I look back on my childhood really with a lot of love. Oh, how amazing. So what part of Holland was it? It was the southern part, really close to Belgium. And honestly, living living with my grandparents was really a little bit like being a princess. There was a live-in maid and a daily girl whose job was also to keep an eye on me. But suddenly, my mom decided to move to California. She wanted an adventure. And we moved to a one-bedroom apartment. Oh, my goodness. From that. we And she worked full-time. So I walked to school and came home alone to our apartment when I was eight. And my girls call this mom's, I walked 50 miles in the snow to school story and rolled her eyes. <laughs> <laughs> so you were eight when you left Holland yes. to come to California. Oh, what did your grandparents think? You of know that? what? They, they were been... not a fan. My grandfather actually offered to buy my mom a home there, and he was pretty well off. He offered to buy her a house right next or right in the same town as where they lived. And they tried everything to keep her there, but she really wanted an adventure. And so she moved to California. One of her brothers lived in California and he said, Oh, it's going to be fun. The weather's great. There's not, you know, there's no rain. You'll love it. And so she took me and she went. Do you remember how you felt about that? You know, it's funny. I don't really because as an adult, often I thought, gosh, I I left this, you know, luxurious little princess life with relatives. Yeah, it sounds pretty good. And nannies and maids and it it was pretty good. And I moved to that one bedroom with my mom, but I don't ever remember thinking, oh, this is so sad. I mean, I do remember my mom saying at one point, this really builds character, Levy. So at one point, I might have said, gee, I really miss the the maids and the grandparents, but I don't know. (laughs) And what part of California did you move to? We moved to La Puente. Okay, so you're eight years old. You're now living in California. Now, did you bring any antiques with you? And how did your love of antiques stay with you? Yeah, I don't know. Oh, gosh, no. There were no antiques. I think my mom... You know, it was a one-bedroom apartment, and God bless her, she gave me the one bedroom. And she slept on a little single bed in the dining room. But I think all our furniture came from other Dutch people who she made friends with there. They were all hand-me-downs. So there were no antiques there. Um, But really, it's really no surprise to me that I became an antiques dealer. Because when I was a, a teenager... I bought my very first antique, and at a time when all my friends were saving up for the new ultimate pair of jeans, I saw this little toy horse in a window of an antique store, and I begged and borrowed money to buy it. I wanted it more than anything, 
And it was really the first antique I ever bought with my own money. Well, borrowed money. And I never really looked back. Do you still have that little horse? You know what? I did until last year. Last year, it, it somebody else came over who said, oh, I, I love that. It was kind of a real primitive little horse that little babies mm -hmm. could ride on. I love uh -huh. and she had a granddaughter and she said, I love that thing. And I said, oh, just take it home. So it went on to live at someone else's house. That's what I love about antiques. They travel. They travel to families who love them for a time. Oh, I love that too. And I love to think about the the hands that touched it or in the case of your little horse, maybe the children that yes. played with it. That's part of the charm, isn't it? It is. Okay, so, okay, so between eight and when you bought the horse, are you were you going to school in California? And I went to school in California. I went to school in California, although for two years, my mom actually sent me back to Holland to live with uh, one of her sisters and her husband, because she thought that she would go back to Holland. And because the school system was so different here versus Europe at the time, she I, I went to live with my aunt and uncle for two years. And in that time, she visited me once. <laughs> I was 10. Your mom, is, yeah, she is an adventurous girl. I love it. What did she do when she came to California? She, because she spoke four languages, like most people of her age in Europe did, she um, got the first job she interviewed with, which was with a crazy Yugoslavian guy who ended up, and when she started with him, he his office was in a trailer, and the chemical lab was in the trailer next door, but she got that job, <laughs> and he, he literally built that business to a million, million, million dollar national business and she was his private secretary for quite a long time until she decided she had enough of him and she became the sales manager there instead what a fascinating story there there's a novel in there somewhere or a memoir i should <laughs> she was, say she was she was very stubborn and she was a character I bet. Sounds like a very interesting woman. Okay, so we find this little horse, and your passion for antiques is now sort of now you're now you're a shopper and you're collecting, or what's going on now in your life? Uh, not too much. I just kind of went to high school, and I got married to a, a boy I imported myself from Holland. <laughs> <laughs> you're always importing things. I from know. Europe. See, it's in the blood. I, wow. So, um, you never sold him off though. He was a keeper. I, he right? was a keeper and he, he is still a is a keeper. <laughs> so yeah, I kind of realized though lately that in every home I've lived ever since living with my grandparents, I've tried to recapture that feeling my grandparents' house had, which was filled with beautiful things, but comfortable and meant to be lived in. When my mom and I immigrated to the United States, mm -hmm. I actually left behind little tiny scraps of paper that I taped to the bottom of my very favorite pieces of my grandparents' furniture and their antique objects, and it said, belongs to Leedy. You did I not. did when I was eight. And then later, when my grandmother downsized after my grandfather died, she shipped them all to me here in, the, in California. It was so fun. And they still had those little pieces of paper on them. Good move, Lee. Really, right? put your claim on I them know. early. 
Well, isn't that so interesting? You were so drawn to these items then. And also that how you're explaining that that lifestyle and not, not just the things, but the way the home was put together and the fact that it was for living and it was beautiful, but it was comfortable, made such an impression on you at such a young age. And here you are, what are you, 29 now? And you're still doing this. <laughs> yes, I am. And that's kind of really the focus of why I do what I do. I really care deeply about helping people create a home that not only expresses their personal style, but I want them to have a home that they and their family and friends consider a safe haven. And I I think that our homes play such a vital part in our happiness and well-being, and the spaces we live in can be healing to our spirit if we design them to be. Oh, I couldn't agree more and beautifully said. So now you you said, I do what I do. We kind of dove into this without you, me asking you right up front, what is it exactly that you do? So tell us a little bit what you're doing, what French Garden House is about, and how the listeners can not only see it, but sort of become part of your community over there at French Garden House. Okay, well, you know, I'm going to take you back a sec to – why I decided to launch French Garden House, because at some point I, you know, got married to the Dutch boy that I imported and we had two <laughs> two daughters. They're seven years apart. And I was a stay at home mom for a long time and I loved it. But then one of our children developed a serious health problem. And over the period of a few years, there were about three times that we thought we would lose her. So at some point, my husband and I decided to take her out of public school, and I homeschooled her. And I'll be honest, they were difficult years. I spent long days by her side taking care of her with um, doing her homeschooling work when she was up to it or wanted to do it. And honestly, I think I spent most of those days and nights having a running conversation with God. So it was a blessing, but as any mom who has done this knows it was really tiring and I desperately wanted to do something creative. And that's kind of how I began selling antiques because I needed something to not make myself crazy just being with my... Well, you were giving so much of yourself. Yes. Right. And and willingly and, and wanting to do so, but that does kind of sometimes leave you a little drained. And it did. So because, you needed yeah, something else. I really wanted the creativity back. So since I loved antiques and interior design, I opened a small, tiny, tiny little space in a local antiques shop, and I loved it. I loved that I got to go there and play decorator and display my little treasures and I met some of the most wonderful customers, many of whom are now my close friends. And I also love talking to the other antique dealers, especially the older ones, because they knew so much and they answered all my questions. And believe me, there were a lot of questions. So aside from loving antiques from a very early age, how did you learn about them? Was it from speaking to these people that you're talking about or had you already learned a lot or just known a lot because you grew up in that type of environment? I think that that's part of it. I mean, I like learning about things, but I have what people call in the business a good eye. And that sounds really egocentric, but basically what that means is that 
you can look at something and know that it's good, that it's well-made, that it's a quality piece. And so I had the good eye, but I needed to learn a lot. And so I spent a lot of time listening and looking and slowly kind of through my avid curiosity about antiques and willing to listen to dealers who could talk forever about one thing. Uh, I learned a lot. Right. I mean, I did. I, I learned so like, much. Who thought you could talk about a spoon? Exactly, for, so for an hour. But they could. And I I listened and I was grateful because they had a and lot. And you're to turning say. over your spoons and looking yes, at them. Yes, and I'm thinking, okay, why, why is that spoon better? And why does that spoon cost $200? And my spoon is probably a $10 spoon. And let me jump in here on the good eye because let me tell you girlfriend you have an exquisite eye and anyone would agree with me when they come over and look at what you've got going on at French Garden House but do you think someone can learn to have a good eye and when we say a good eye we need a good eye for spotting antiques um I think you can I think that first of all one of the things that I always tell people who say I I need to know how can I develop a knowledge or a good eye. I think that you have to go out and look at real antiques. After asking, touching them and being around them, you will develop a feeling and a good eye, if that makes sense. No, that absolutely makes sense. And I think you can hone that. I mean, certainly some people are born with a beautiful singing voice, but I understand. I haven't done it, but I understand you can learn to sing, yes. you know, you to train yourself. So, so I love that you're saying you can train yourself to have a good eye, to spot these antiques. Because I think we have, there's a lot of people in the world that enjoy this sort of thing, but they say, oh, I just, but I'm not good at f seeing it or, or discerning which is good from which is not good, or I'm not so good at putting it together. But I think you can develop that sort of thing. It's just that it, just like anything, it takes practice and training and you have to be willing to learn as you're saying, right. put the time in. I agree with that. I also do want to say that even if you find, not every antique is quote unquote a great antique, but I always tell everyone, even my clients, if it is calling your name, if you love it, if there's something about it that just pulls you in, then buy it if you can. It may not be the $200 spoon. Maybe what you love is a $10 spoon at the flea market, but if you love it and you can totally picture yourself stirring your daily coffee with it, then get it. And if it's for 10 bucks, don't hesitate. Don't even hesitate. For sure. So other than doing the, the training and putting the time in and speaking to others and doing all of that to, to hone your eye, are there any resources that you could direct the listeners to that you have used over the years? Well, I'll be honest. Before the internet became a thing, most antique collectors and dealers would have to have a whole library of big books filled with photos and descriptions and price guides, but now we can Google everything. And I do that. I mean, I don't know everything about everything. When I buy something, I will buy it because my naughty good eye says, get that thing, no matter how much it is. <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes I have sort of an idea about what it is and who made it, but not always. And then mm -hmm. I Google the description and learn so much. So other than 
you know, like I said, seeing the antiques, I don't really think there is one resource other than the internet. Um, but you have to be careful about what you read because no, no chops on eBay because I actually had an eBay selling account before I opened French Garden House. It was kind of like a segue between the little antique space to the internet to my own website. Um, but, you know, eBay dealers are most likely not going to give you the information that you need all the time. It depends on who they are and how knowledgeable they are. Now, that's a good caution, for sure. So tell us more about French Garden House. We got off a little bit on um, yes, how to sorry. discern a good antique. Uh, so tell us about your site. It is so beautiful, and I en have enjoyed it for so many years uh, as a reader and participating in these various blog tours that we've done together and shopping there. So tell us what it's all about. I decided to open my own website to sell the things that I loved because because of that naughty good eye, I suddenly had a lot more things that were beautiful that I really didn't <laughs> need at home. And, you know, here in California, our homes are not as big as they are in Texas, for instance. So I was kind of running out of space. But um, it started French Garden House just simply to sell antiques. And then I... At the same time, I met someone who said, oh, my gosh, if you have a business, you need to start a blog. And I had never even heard of a blog. And I said, what on earth is a blog? And so she gave me her blog address, so to speak. And I looked at it and I thought, well, that's interesting. So it was back in the day when blogs were new. And I, I began a little blog. And again, my girls, you know, girls are so like that with their moms. My girls said, oh, mom, seriously, you're going to start a website? You don't even know how to program the TV remote. And now you're doing a blog. And then when I said I was doing a blog, they said, and now you're doing a blog. Honestly, do you think anyone cares what you have to say? We love you, mom. Those but we girls. Really, I know. So I thought, okay, well, I'm just going to prove them wrong. So. Well, you showed them. <laughs> I mm -hmm. hope so. They actually have admitted that, that I did show them. Well, that's good. I'm glad to yeah. hear that. <laughs> so anyway, the the blog really was just for me to share my excitement about antiques and setting a pretty table and I don't know, whatever I thought my readers would be interested in and my clients would be interested in. It was a way to to give it a more personal touch because originally I'd wanted to open a brick and mortar store. But because of my daughter and her healthcare needs, that didn't seem like it was going to happen. So I wanted to give French Garden House, the website, a blog place where my clients could kind of meet me and hear my voice and know kind of more about the person behind the website, if that makes sense. Oh, it, it makes perfect sense. And, and you do that and you do it beautifully. And I think that is one of the reasons why you've been so successful over the years. How do you fill the shelves, so to speak, at French Garden House? Where are you getting these gorgeous antiques? <laughs> if I told you that, I'd have to kill you. Oh, no. Sorry. This is why I invited you on the podcast. Um, I get them pretty much everywhere, to be honest. Um, obviously, this is a different year, so we're not traveling. But uh, my husband and I generally travel to Europe to go on buying trips. But also I have a, a 
That just sends a, like a little shiver, like a little sparkly shiver through yeah. my body when you say that going to Europe for buying trips. I so I know everybody wants to hear about what happens when you do when that. When I do that. And I bet, yeah, and I bet all of it isn't as glamorous as we all think it is, but I bet a lot of it really is fabulous. And you're going into the really interesting places and meeting fabulous people interesting people and getting to see all these beautiful things. So tell us a little bit about that. It is a lot of work. It's not as glamorous as most people think, but it has side benefits, lots of side benefits. Number one, you get to meet very interesting people. And for me, there's nothing like meeting someone who also loves antiques and lives and breathes antiques. So that's always a big plus. It does involve getting up early a lot of times. It involves really scary car drives because European streets are super tiny. And my husband, being European, still drives like a European guy. <laughs> so sometimes I just close my eyes. It's Yeah, it's, it's a combination of both. It's both the best of buying and the hardest works that I ever do. But I also buy a lot of things in the States. And I'm very lucky that I have a really big group of dealers who are now my friends who will give me first choice, bring their personal best to me. So I'm really spoiled in that way, that they're they're out there looking for things that they know that I will want to buy for French Garden House clients. And what are you looking for for French Garden That's House? That's a good question. You know, I don't really have one... Thing. I mean, if you look at the website, you can tell that I am an equal lover of many things. I love the over-the-top, expensive, gilt, French Rococo, foofy kind of antiques, but I also love the French country, kitchen, useful kind of antiques. And, and really, when you think about it, every grand home in Europe would have had both. They would have had right. they would have had the over the top wonderful, beautiful things upstairs and in the kitchens where the servants worked and cooked, they would have had the you know, the enamelware and the pans and, and all the wonderful things that I also love. So for me I look for basically I look to fall in love. Oh, well, what a wonderful way to spend your life and your career, <laughs> falling in love over and over again. Yes, I, I do. But then you have to, other than the boy, the Dutch boy that you imported, you have to part with a lot of your love. So is that hard to do? No, that is not. Oh, no. no. Okay. <laughs> and isn't it funny? That's, I think, what makes me a perf perfect for this job that I have, because I I don't have a problem there are so many times when like a container will come in or a dealer will a container been, okay I, I just got shivers again <laughs> <laughs> or packages from Europe lately that's how it happens now or um you know someone will have delivered stuff for me and and one of my girlfriends will come over and she'll say oh, oh you just have to keep that you can't possibly sell that but you know mm. what I don't feel like that mostly. I mostly feel like I'm a connector of antiques to their new owners and their mm -hmm. next home where they will be loved. And I don't really keep much, to be honest. Okay. I've seen a lot of pictures of your house. You, you keep. You keep. <laughs> well, I do. Okay. I do have things. Everybody, you go look and see if Leedy keeps or not. Okay. 
she keeps I, she she keeps beautiful things. She's very curated, but she definitely keeps. I do, but I, I don't keep a lot. I a lot. Well, you let's just say you could. Keep I could, a lot more. but you know, again, like I said, I live in California. Our our home is not large, and I have a husband who really likes super clean surfaces. Oh, yes. So sometimes I keep things for a short time. And then Maybe I like you foster them. Yes. You're like foster parents. Yes, I'm a foster okay. parent, and then they go live with their new owners. The only thing I will never part with, and it's the thing I hold dearest to my heart, is my grandmother's silver antique teapot, and that's because it was hers. I inherited oh. it when she died. I love it not only because it's beautiful, but because of my memories of her pouring out tea each afternoon, precisely at 3.30. Oh. And I use it. Oh. I use it here for my own family, mostly like when we're all together on Sundays and that's for holidays beautiful. and things. But and, and that's really the beauty of antiques, I think. For me, it's not the thing itself, but it's the memories and the stories and all of that. That's the magic. They connect us, antiques connect us to the past in such a tangible, beautiful way. Much more from Leedy in a minute or two. Green Chef. There are so many reasons to try Green Chef. Uh, you don't have to go to the grocery store. It's delivered right to your door for those busy nights and weekends. Green Chef also gives you the opportunity to live a healthier lifestyle. Green Chef is a USDA certified organic company that makes eating well easy and affordable with plans to fit every kind of lifestyle. Green Chef has recipes for paleo, keto, and plant-powered diets. Choose from a wide array of easy-to-follow recipes perfect for these plant-powered diets. Or even if you just want to eat healthier, the recipes are quick and easy with step-by-step -step instructions, chef tips, and photos to guide you along. The ingredients become pre-measured and perfectly proportioned and mostly prepped. So it's really fast and really easy to get a delicious meal on the table. Green Chef makes staying healthier and on track easier than ever with these satisfying home-cooked dinners delivered right to your door. We have an amazing offer for you right now, and I think you really should take advantage of it. So head to greenchef.com slash DTT80 and use the promotion code DTT80 to get a whopping $80 off, including free shipping. So that's greenchef.com slash DTT80 and use the code DTT80 to get $80 off, including free shipping. Bon appetit! You know we love Christmas here at DTT and the holidays, but we love January. We love the fresh beginnings. We love the plans. Our, it's our birthday month, and one of my plans for the coming year is to include ritual vitamins in my daily routine. I've tried multivitamins in the past. Sometimes I pick them up at the grocery store, but you don't really know what's in there. And I'm learning from doing a deep dive into what ritual is all about that other vitamins can have sugars, synthetic fillers, colorants, not to mention animal byproducts like sheep's wool, hello, and gelatin from hooves and hides. Stop me there, right? You don't need to know more. 
you want to have vitamins in your routine that are actually going to be good for you and not have any of these extra things that you don't need and don't want. Ritual is formulated with key nutrients, including vitamin D3, to help fill the gaps in the diet. Their fresh-tasting delayed-release capsules are designed to dissolve later in less sensitive areas of your stomach so you can take them with or without food. And they're not these giant horse pills that you have to kind of choke down. Ritual is available for men, women, and teens. The Ritual multivitamins are scientifically developed to help support different life stages. Your multivitamins are then delivered to your door every month with free shipping, always. You can start, snooze, or cancel your subscription at any time. And if you don't love Ritual within your first month, they'll refund your first order. So there's really no risk. There is a risk when you go to the grocery store or the pharmacy and you're strolling around the aisle and you just pick up a bottle of multivitamins thinking you're doing something good for yourself. You may actually not be. So give Ritual a try. I know I am going to be. I'm really excited for my Ritual order to be coming in the mail and that is what I'm going to get rolling with this January. You deserve to know what's in your multivitamin. That's why Ritual is offering DTT listeners 10% off during your first three months. So visit ritual.com slash DTT to start your ritual today. And you need to go to ritual.com slash DTT to actually get the 10% off. And we'll have that link in the show notes as well. So let's do it all together. Let's make ritual part of our daily routine. While we've all been spending so much more time at home these days, if there's stuff about your house that you don't like, it has become really glaring. And excuse the pun, but lighting is really a problem in a lot of people's houses, whether it is glaring or whether it is too dim or just not up to the task. Why not check out Lamps Plus? Lamps Plus is the nation's largest lighting retailer. We love Lamps Plus products. We have them in our own homes, and so we can attest to the quality variety and the beauty of all the lamps plus lighting but you know what they have over 50,000 home furnishing products that's what the plus is everything from chandeliers and ceiling fans to lighting fixtures to a wide assortment of mirrors bar stools consoles poofs you name it they've got it as a family-owned business that wants to help you love your space even more lamps plus carries the top trusted brands like sean beck sean beck lighting is Gorgeous. It's a 150-year-old lighting company from right here in the USA that specializes in handmade chandeliers with the world's finest crystals. And you know that both Anita and I are <laughs> big fans of sparkly crystal chandeliers. A Schonbach chandelier is definitely going to add the glamorous flair and luxury that you're looking for. Right now, Lamps Plus is helping you create the perfect holiday at home to brighten and add comfort to your space during their Get Ready for the Holiday Sale. For a limited time for decorating tips and tricks listeners, you can save up to 50% on hundreds of lighting, furniture, and home decor by going to lampsplus.com slash DTT. That's lampsplus.com slash DTT to save up to 50% on select items. Tell me what you collect. Other than people, what do I collect? <laughs> I have a small collection of silver napkin rings in a little antique shadow box in the living room. And each one of those is special to me. One of them was mine when I was little. Some of them belong to my husband's and my and my own grandparents, and some of them I just bought and loved. 
Um, I just love seeing them there, again, behind their little glass cover because they remind me of family time around the table. That's a wonderful thing to collect. And it's also small it's enough small. that when we do get to travel again, yes. you know, you could pick that up. Yes. Um, now, what and what are people collecting that shop from you? It, do you see trends where, you know, there was a certain time people were hot for one thing and now they're on to something else? I think that people collect different things in different parts of the world and even in the country, actually. Um, I don't really follow the trends because trends come and go. And for me, a beautiful antique is a beautiful antique is a beautiful antique. For the longest time, the trend here in the States has been farmhouse, which is a really mm -hmm. fun look that works well for so many people. Um, I think that dark wood furniture has been out for a long time, and that is a trend that's really changing. I'm seeing I don't sell furniture anymore because it's just so much work to, to get it, to create it, to ship it, to photograph it and store it somewhere and then, you know, have it delivered again. But the trend in antique furniture and the prices for dark wood pieces are going way up because people are returning to dark wood. Well, I just want to tell everyone who's been a longtime listener, I did not ask Leedy to say that, but you will remember that Anita and I predicted that. And I have a whole YouTube video about why I love brown furniture uh -huh. and that you should be collecting it yes. and you should have been doing it because here, now you're hearing from an expert in the field that the prices are going back yes, up. Yes, they are going so. up quite a bit, actually. Um, thank God people have stopped painting every beautiful antique white. And there's nothing wrong with painting something with paint as long as it's not a real good piece of furniture. Mm-hmm, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, I agree. And you don't want to have everything painted. You don't. It's, and I love have a good painted. Mix. I mean, I have painted things in my lifetime, believe me. I've even painted upholstery. My my motto used to be, if you don't like how it looks anymore, just paint it a different color. But um, getting back to what people are collecting now, um, I think a good antique will always be collectible. And what's really exciting for me is that we have a lot of young clients at French Garden House who will buy one really one or two really over-the-top French antiques, like a big gold mirror or antique prints or paintings in a real foofy gold frame. And then they'll send me photos of it in their home, and their home is super modern. And I love that because it's a, I love that too. It's a way to give both the modern pieces and the antique pieces room to stand out. And it's also such an exciting way to introduce these old pieces with such a storied past into a whole new generation. Oh, I love that. Yeah, and I really think it adds freshness to both yes. pieces. You know, they they are made better by the juxtaposition. Absolutely. I love decorating like that. So getting back to shopping in the European fleas. Now, do you have just a few tips that you could share? Because we all will be out again someday. Yay. And hopefully getting to go to Europe and, and diving back in. So... Do you have anything that we could take and tuck away in our in our? I do. They're not earth-shattering tips, but I will tell you what I have found works for me really well. Number one is 
universal. Be as friendly as you can be because good manners go really, really far, especially European Brocanta dealers are very protective of their fines. So never, ever point out flaws or they may just flat out raise the price or refuse to sell it to you. I once saw a dealer in a French flea market and I don't even really speak French that well, but I could kind of get the gist of what was happening. A dealer had a beautiful vase, porcelain vase, and a customer, I think, offered him a ridiculous offer. And the dealer threw it on the ground and said, I would rather break it in a million pieces than sell it to you. I mean, that's what someone translated for me because I was just like, oh, my gosh, what just happened there? So good morning really, really far. Number those French, a flair for the dramatic. Yes, they, oh my goodness. They're very protective of their treasures. Number two is bring cash because there's no such thing as a European dealer who takes a credit card or if or if so, they are very scarce. Even in stores. Antique stores in Europe really don't like taking credit cards and a lot of them just flat out will not. And if they do accept credit cards, be prepared that they will charge you their merchant fee. Oh, right. Um, number three is ask about the item you're interested in because dealers love to talk about their babies and ask them how old it is, what it's made from. They just love to talk about it. And the longer you talk, the more of a relationship and a connection you will have with them. And that can only bode well for you. Yes, that might translate into uh, a little bit of better price. Yes. Well, and that brings me to number four. Ask them for their price, their best price, before you make an offer. I've had other dealers laugh at me because I've always asked this. Is this your friendliest price? Oh, I love that. <laughs> but I've had really good results with that. But, you know, everybody that has to find. That is really good. Thank you. Everybody has to find something that you feel comfortable saying. And often the dealer will give me a better price than I would have offered so I always ask them to say their friendliest price first. You want them to come to you first yes. and see what they Yeah. And like I said, often it's a way better price than I would offer them. Yeah. And then you're like, okay, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> I think this is... I love that. Okay. I'm going to remember that when I go to the Rose Bowl. Is okay, your... good. Friendliest price. And then also, number five is the last one. You can negotiate, but please be respectful. And this kind of ties in with number one. Very often dealers in Europe and especially French dealers are not very eager to make a deal, no matter what you've seen on TV shows. I honest for an even better deal once the dealer tells me their friendliest price because I know mm. they work hard. It's getting really difficult to find good antiques. Plus, they have to search high and low for it, clean it, store it, take it to the flea market. They get up at an ungodly hour, waiting long lines in their truck just to sell it to us at the flea. So, you know. No, that is a very, very difficult life. Yes. I mean, and you obviously have to love, love, love what you're doing. And it is a, a community. I did. Did I ever tell you this? I took a space at the Rose Bowl for three months. You did? I did. This was back. You know how you said you had your your little shop and then you had your ebay uh -huh. before you went online so i had a little etsy shop and i was kind of edging my way towards i didn't know but i was going towards starting my soulful home and all this so 
my friends and I were then closing our little Etsy shop. I did it with two other friends of mine and we had all these things. And what are we going to do with them? They were too much to keep in your own house. We didn't want to drop them at Goodwill. So I said, well, you know what? I'll, I'm just going to get a space. Oh my goodness. Loading up my old Land Cruiser, going over the muddy dirt, getting there. Oh, and then one of the months I had was daylight savings. Oh and so it God. was it was even an hour earlier. And so I got to see, I mean, you know, because, you know, obviously if you think through the steps, how did this item get here? It didn't just miraculously appear at the Rose Bowl or at a flea market in France or Belgium or something like that. Obviously, you understand intellectually if you took the time to think about it, but having gone through the steps myself and then having to clean it up at the oh, end of the day, I know. I, and you're like, oh, please, I just wish I sold something. So I have such respect for people that do this, Me too. Uh, having been on the other side, but only for, you know, three times, but <laughs> it's hard. Because I have people, show promoters that I know say to me all the time, you know, you should open a you should come and sell here. And I just kind of look at them and go, honey, I will come and shop at your show. I yeah, will support no, you yes. and your dealers, but I am not getting yeah. up at 2.30 in the morning and standing in line at 3.30 in the morning to sell my wares. I'm sorry, I'm too lazy no. for that. <laughs> no, 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 you're not too lazy. There's just different ways of doing it. But that everybody, should, I love what you're saying because you really have to give respect to these yes. people. And it's not, some people feel like uh, it's a yard sale. Right. It's not a yard no. sale. You know, it's different. And so the prices should reflect that. I want to bring you back to something you said right in the beginning about when you were living in your grandparents' house and and way you described it as being beautiful and having antiques, but being comfortable. And I don't know if you said in a European sort of way, but that's kind of what, you know, I read between the lines there and listening to you. So Lady, can you sort of describe what what is that? Is it sort of this intangible? Is it is it only available to Europeans? Like, how do you achieve that look? And can you give some tips to our listeners if you know they're searching to get that sort of lived in, uh, patinaed, graceful way of decorating their home and and living in their home? I think what. Europeans do well and sometimes we as Americans don't do as well is they have a a way of mixing the old with the new and they're not stuck on perfection. They use the things that they've inherited or their family has always used. And I think as Americans, we generally, when we decorate, we want everything to be shiny and perfect. And Europeans just don't do that. They don't go to a showroom and buy a couch with two matching chairs and a matching coffee table. They they kind of mix and match, and they don't want it all to be done all at once. They will save up for, you know, their most favorite armoire, let's say, and then they will have an Ikea couch next to it forever until they can finally save up for a couch that they like better. Or maybe they just keep the Ikea couch and are happy as clams with that. I think that's one of the ways that Europeans really decorate differently than we do because they're just not so stuck on perfection. They like the wear. They like things that look lived in. Yeah, I think you make an excellent point there. And it's it's something that you can recognize and be drawn to, but it's sort of hard to execute. Do you have to have lived it? Do you have to really concentrate on it? But then it's kind of 
ironic to really concentrate on it because it is a more relaxed look. It, it is. <laughs> you can't try too hard to do it because then it defeats it. It's, I kind of compare it to the difference between how Europeans dress and buy clothing and the way that we do it here in the States. You know, my friends and family in Europe, they are very, very chic and trendy. But when you look in their closets, they do not have hangers full of shirts and jeans and pants. Usually what they do is they make a budget and every year they buy, you know, just a few things, but they buy the best that they can afford. And then they will just wear that and wear that and wear that and sling a scarf on it and make it look totally different. They do the same thing with their homes. They will wait and save up for the couch of their dreams and make do with a folding table in the kitchen until they can move on and buy a better again they they choose what they love i guess that's really the thing they pick what they love and they they decorate their homes like that but they're not they're not so worried about everything staying perfect like we are here i mean when you go to their home there's children and dogs and red wine and and they're just not so worried about the preciousness of their you know furniture and their things and i think that's the key their home serves them to live in they want to live in their home and not the other way around they're not worried about that it goes back to that perfection thing and maybe that's why it's so appealing. It's more relaxed. The yes. home is serving them. They're not serving the home. Right. So aside from maybe the Belgian linen or the you know the crockery or whatnot, it's beyond the individual items. Right. It's this feeling. It's this ambiance. So I think that you know it's it's something to strive for because I think it's a really lovely way of living and maybe just relaxing a little. Yeah, it's a good idea too. Now we're edging into Christmas time. So how do you decorate for Christmas? I pretty much, you know, when my kids were younger, I went all out like you do. But now, gosh, I'm already buying holiday and thinking holiday as early as January. So by the time Christmas actually rolls around, my decorating is much more simplified. Um, Because of my blog, I set up a white flock tree in our bedroom quite early so I can get some photos of that and do some inspirational posts. But I'll be honest, that tree is filled with white feather dusters to emulate snowdrifts and gold <laughs> gold or silver floral. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You can get white feather dusters? Well, they're not really. Love- actually, they're not even feather. I got them at the Dollar Tree. They're, um, <laughs> well, you and then you put them on your tree. I put them I on it. my tree. They're those refillable duster things you know they're white and fluffy stop it oh my god so i stick those in there to fill it up a little bit and then i have i love that you shared that and then i have gold (laughs) or silver floral picks and an ever-changing collection of really inexpensive decorations for that um but do you think that your holiday decorating overall is more european or more american yeah it's more european And I was going to say that aside from that, you know, kind of white tree in our bedroom for the blog world, in our living room, really, I let my large tree 
be the focal point. My husband is so allergic to real pine, and he suffered for years with hives after setting up the tree each holiday season <laughs> because he wanted our kids to have a real tree memory. But after they were 18, I said, okay, this is it. No more hives. We're switching to a fake tree, and I love it. But um, that one, actually, I have filled with a collection of Christmas ornaments that include everything from a styrofoam glittered orbit ball that my youngest child made in kindergarten to an antique wax angel that came from my grandparents' tree. And I have a large collection of antique ornaments that, okay, okay, that's it. Those are the things that somehow never left home after I bought them. Okay. <laughs> those, I knew there was going to be something. Were, I know. Those were the keepers. Um I don't really decorate a whole lot. I mean, it, I am still somewhat European, and the difference between how Europeans and Americans approach holiday decor is that Europeans decorate a lot less. Like me, they'll have a tree. They tend to use a lot more fresh greens and fruits to create a holiday home. Um yeah, like there are no Kris Kringle Christmas villages. No, with not really. Ice like, skating no, ponds and really. things like that. No. And, you know, like my grandmother and hers before her did, I add a few branches of fresh pine to the top of my mirrors for the holidays. But my family and friends <laughs> in Europe. Your poor, your poor husband. <laughs> I know. Well, it's up there. He doesn't have to touch it. I do that myself. He only is allergic when he touches it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, well, then. I know. By, by all means, do the mantle. <laughs> it was so funny because this is a weird side note on the pine. I had bought this great smelling dish soap with pine scent that was all organic yeah. and natural. And he was doing <gasps> dishes for me every night because I cook oh, and he does the no. dishes. And all of a sudden, he got the hives again. And I thought, oh, my gosh, it's totally my fault. So that's a weird side note. That truly is a natural product. I know. It was. But my family oh, and friends in Europe don't really take away their decorative accents for the holidays and substitute them, like you said, with holiday villages and Kris Kringles. They, they kind of just embellish them a little bit. I love that approach. I've done more and more of that as the years go on. Uh, I'd, fresh branches, maybe some more flowers, maybe yeah. forcing some bulbs, but not going hog wild where you're you're taking all your furniture out right. or I know. rearranging like everything like we used to do right yeah 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 and and I'm now we have this uh chair in our kitchen which was uh, honestly the probably the best decor move I ever made and it's like a $300 chair from <laughs> it's not very expensive but everybody loves it they want to sit on it I'm not even going to put the tree up in the kitchen anymore which I used to love to do I'm in there most of the time and have it on with the lights and whatnot. But everybody said, no, don't leave the, leave the chair. So I'm just going to put some branches around in the hutch yeah. and, and just go a little bit more simple. We still do get a real tree. Uh -huh. uh, we get one every year from my daughter's uh, high school. They do that for the booster. The fun, so yeah. that will be coming. Um, so I haven't even gotten the vlog head start yet. I'm really, I'm, I take Thanksgiving pretty seriously. So I haven't even done anything for Christmas yet. As of this recording, by the time everyone's listening to it, I will, I will, you will have, have done up. something. Yeah. Something. But I'm trying to do that whole Euro relax, you know, I know. just well, kind of nice. let it happen and get that feeling, which I think is a wonderful way to live. Leedy, this has been such a delight. And uh, I should say, Leedy and I are talking on a Friday afternoon and, um, 
It, too bad we didn't crack open a bottle of wine or champagne. <laughs> Next time, let's do that. So thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. I know everyone is going to be so excited to listen to you, learn about you. You were such a delightful guest, and I know they're going to want to head over to French Garden House. So tell them how best to do that. You can go to my website, which is frenchgardenhouse.com, and I also have an Instagram account. But I love your Instagram. We we sort of chat back and forth almost every day on Instagram. Uh-huh. I heart you, you heart yes. me. <laughs> I heart everything you do. And I heart and I heart you back. Oh, good. And now everybody can, yeah, so everybody that's listening, you know, jump on. We have a lot of Instagram uh, users that listen to the show, and I get to know them through there too. So definitely, definitely head over to French Garden House on Instagram and click to follow and so that you can see what Leedy is up to. Thanks again, my friend, and I hope to see you in real life really soon. Oh, me too. Thank you so much. Like I said, it was an honor So, Anita, what's our hot topic today? An article from House Beautiful, How Kitchen Trends Have Changed in the Pandemic. And it's very interesting, and really it's talking about uh, how things, you know, things that people are wanting to change to their kitchen as a result of of being home for the pandemic. But I would actually, eh, I mean, that's a nice title, catchy. But to me, it's really more of a, oh, I ignored my kitchen. I was never home. Now I'm home, stuck at home all day, and I hate my kitchen. It's kind of, and what do I need to do now to make it more livable? So that's kind of what, uh, but it's very interesting the kind of things that people are looking to do in their kitchen. So it's a great article, just a few highlights from it, because it's packed full of some good information. And one thing that they really talked about a lot is adding a very usable, workable island and definitely in our house, that is the hub of our house, is that island. I mean, we that is really the center of our home. So I think if you don't have a workable island, I think that's a great thing to add. And same here. And my island, I'm using air quotes, is really a freestanding table. Right. We, right. I sit there. I do my work there. I mean, sometimes I go into another room or something, but I just keep coming back to the kitchen. Mm-hmm. We eat there almost every night. Very mm-hmm. rarely do we go into the dining room. Um, so, and the kids will come down and have their snack. Zoom is going on there. It, it's really essential to have something mm-hmm. like that, especially but- now. Right. Well, we and we actually started doing something kind of fun with the with the pandemic. With uh, is eating lunch in the dining room and then dinner in the kitchen. So, I think that's so nice that you do that. So, well, just moving it around so you're not stuck in the in the same room. Right. All day. Right. But yeah. So yeah. And and the other key thing uh, takeaway from this was people are wanting their kitchen to be very cozy too. So I the, have to say, mm-hmm. reading the article all the way through, it's a very interesting article. Mm-hmm. I was mentally checking all the boxes off. I think they were describing my kitchen. <laughs> well, they probably were. Well, except that I would say the one thing that was different was they were saying that people don't like wiping down the white cabinets, so they'd rather have the painted cabinets a different color where you can't see the dirt so easily. But yeah, I still love a white, clean kitchen. And, you know, if there's dirt there, I want to know it. I want to be able to clean that off. So. Well, I'm nodding because... I would not change the color of my cabinetry, but I am wiping it down a lot more now <laughs> because right. I'm seeing it yeah, in all yeah, sorts yeah. of light. Oh, mm-hmm. look at that. I didn't see that just early this morning. Now, So yeah, I think there are a lot of 
people are seeking some comfort in that room too because they're spending so much time in there. So adding the chair like I did, I'm telling you, that was a game changer. So if you mm. can squeeze in something like that, and mm -hmm. what we always talk about is layered lighting, they're referencing uh, adding some lamps and also taking the window coverings off if you've got a lot of curtains and things going on or even shades, you know, pull them up, maybe even take them off. Let the light in. But then you see all the dust on the white cabinets. <laughs> well, there's always a downside. But it's a great article. And if you're considering uh, doing something to your kitchen, it, it really goes through a lot of the things that you might be thinking about. So, right, like hiding your appliances and, and mm -hmm. hide, hiding the visual clutter, which we talk about. There right. is such a thing as visual clutter, and it does stress you. So it is nice to uh, keep it uh, keep the clutter in your kitchen to a minimum. So yeah, so it's a great article. We'll include a link and I think you'll really enjoy reading it. And something that you won't need to read per se uh, is my crush for today. Oh, it's yes. Phoebe Reads a Mystery. Now, I think I've talked to you guys about this podcast before and I was listening to some Agatha Christie's that Phoebe was reading. Now I've been listening to Jane Eyre. I hadn't picked up Jane Eyre in many, many years and you kind of had the sense, you know, sort of what's going on, but I forgot a lot of the details. And Phoebe has such a wonderful voice. It's so mm. soothing to listen mm. to her no matter what she's reading you she could be reading you some terrible news and you'd be like oh that's nice <laughs> she just has this wonderful way of um of her intonation and whatnot is terrific so I highly recommend that you check out her podcast it's Phoebe Reads a Mystery there are a lot of books on there now and um you may enjoy Jane Eyre as I am or some of the other things the next one that I'm going to try is Dracula and by the time I'm done with Dracula Jane Eyre, I'm sure she'll have something else up on the podcast. Well, so fun. I've got to check her out. And my crush also is a podcast. Oh, it is called La Vie Creative Paris Podcast. So mm. uh, there's an American expat, Crystal Kenny, who lives in Paris and she works there. And it's kind of about her, her adventures in Paris. And it's also talking with other expats. So it's very interesting. She did a discussion with a friend of hers who's also an expat about that uh, new Netflix show, Emily in Paris. So they had a very interesting take on that and how that might vary from real life working. Somebody was just telling me about that yesterday. And I oh, haven't the, the show? tried it. Yeah. Well, it's very, yeah. I mean, there's certainly, it's got beautiful clothing. I have seen some of it. Beautiful clothing and the, I will tell you, the office building she works in is just to die for. I will say that. So it's just, there's, it definitely shows a very elegant side of Paris. And um, probably it's rare for a design lover to say an office building. <laughs> Well, but for. it's well, yeah, but it's not office at all. It's it's yeah, it's a very old building. It's beautifully done. Uh, yeah, and and you know, there's a lot of French people cliches in it. Uh -huh. You know, but uh, you know, it seems to move past that after a while. Uh, but anyway, but that was interesting. But it's not really. But I'm. But my crush is not the Netflix show. My crush right. is the podcast. And then uh, another episode, she had the granddaughter of Ernest Hemingway, I can't remember the woman's name <gasps> on there, and they were talking about one of, they were talking about Edith Piaf, and so they were talking about her life. So oh, very, a lot of my loves are colliding there. I'm see, I'm listen. telling you. And so it's just, and so it's not just about the expats living there, but history of, of Paris, so it's really, I think you're going to love it. Oh, wow, that sounds really good. Okay, mm -hmm. I can't even wait for the show notes to come out. I'm going to have to listen to that yes, one today. Yes, yeah, it's easy to find. 
And our question today is from Angela F. Angela has been listening to the podcast. She also loves antique and vintage furniture. She sort of describes her look as sort of vintage antique. Her question is, because she has a lot of different woods in these vintage or antique pieces, uh, different types of wood and also in a range of colors, she wants to know, is there a rule of thumb on using them all in her home? Oh, wow. Angela. Um... And we have no photo, which is, you know, maybe good and bad. Right, but I think that, right, but then you can talk about it more generally. I mean, Angela, I, I mean, there, I think the thing on this is, I mean, I'm, I'm picturing kind of a nicely done combination of antiques and a poorly done combination of antiques. And I think it has more to do with how much you're putting in the room and the size of the pieces. I think a few, and it kind of goes back to where a few larger pieces in the room are going to work better than a lot of little pieces. So they don't all have to match. It doesn't have to be the same kind of wood. Uh, But again, the more different types of wood you put in there, the more confused the room might feel. So you don't want to put too many different styles and different types of wood in a room. uh, And uh, you don't want... And, and again, antiques sometimes tend to be a lot of little small pieces. I see that a lot. So you don't mm. want your room to feel like it's an antique store. So I was sh- thinking that exact term right. when so you that, were saying that. Yeah. So I'm kind of a little nervous about it because I'm thinking about that. Uh, so you don't want that look. So make sure the pieces are sized appropriate for your room and that you don't have too many in the room. And, you know, a nice thing to do would be to mix in some modern pieces, uh, you know, newer pieces that you've bought with with the antique pieces I mean they can be traditional pieces but you know I think you want to make it not a room just full of antiques and I think that's going to be a much more timeless look than just the antiques but again it really does depend on what you're putting in the room and you just it's just like putting together any other room you just have to be careful about what's going in that room and follow you know all the other decorating rules I think Anita really nailed it on the head with having not too many pieces and not too many small pieces. So I would underscore that if you, if it's a large room or if your home is open concept, so you're going to see a lot of the pieces, maybe you try to do something, Angela, where they're sort of all in the same general tone and if some of the pieces have uh, you know a darker stain maybe you have another piece that sort of pulls in the darker stain in in like the the grain or the accent so sort of it's kind of they're picking up pieces you know bits of of the other pieces as you go around the room so not one's not antique pine and the next one's rosewood you know so they're really really different you could try that but I I think going with less pieces is really the way to go and if you're saying some of them are real antiques where you wouldn't want to touch them with a paintbrush uh, but others are vintage which could mean you picked it up on the side of the road or at a thrift store or something like that maybe you add in some painted pieces with the vintage I know you didn't want to get mm-hmm. rid of any of the pieces, but maybe mm-hmm. you paint a few. Mm-hmm. Um, my own uh, personal experience with trying to mix that, I think works very well in my dining room. I have that antique pine table that I got from the Girl Scout yard sale. So that's light. And you would almost say like the undertones were sort of blonde and yellow. And then I have a very dark piece that is more more like a console piece and then I did have a almost red 
mahogany in not ma- it wasn't mahogany but sort of that color you know that that red stain uh, in a china cabinet that was left behind by the previous owner and I painted that white so in that room I have three big wooden pieces and they're all different but I think it really works so you maybe take a look at my dining room and see if you can you know get some inspiration from that great tip well, yours was as well. Oh, um, so, so much fun today. I really enjoyed uh, chatting with you. I love that article on the kitchen pandemic design trends. So everybody should check that out. And I can't wait to listen to Anita's podcast. And remember, we are here. I shouldn't say Anita's podcast. This is Anita's podcast. <laughs> that's, that's right. The podcast that Anita is crushing on. And remember, we are here to inspire you to create a beautiful home. Until next time.